A happy Mother's Day to moms out there. Seeing how it is Mother's Day, we're going to do a special uh, Mother's Day study this morning. So if you have your Bibles, if you would, turn to the book of Genesis chapter 2. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll get a Bible right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Genesis chapter 2. I am actually very, very blessed this morning. Out of the 18 years that I've been here pastoring, this is the first Mother's Day that my mother-in-law is here joining with us, and so I am very, very blessed to have her here. Very blessed. Genesis chapter 2, we'll be starting in verse 18. The title of my study this morning is Supermom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together, Lord, to be in your word and really to celebrate the role of moms today in our world and, Lord, the role that you have for them. We thank you, Lord, for, uh, God, this opportunity to, to gather, knowing, Lord, that it's your desire to speak to our hearts, to give us not only information but instruction, Lord, uh, on how to live our lives, Lord, and application as well. So we pray your blessing upon it, Lord. We pray your blessing. Lord, we pray if there's anyone here that is yet to come into a saving knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray for their salvation this morning. So, Lord, we commit our time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Isn't that great? Super moms. To take that from a superman faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings with a single bound. Super mom. Yes, it's super mom. A strange visitor seemingly from another planet who came to earth with powers and abilities beyond those of mortal men. Super mom who can change the course of mighty toddlers, men hearts with their bare hands, who disguises as a mild-mannered mom fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the Jesus way. <laughs> I love that. Today, of course, is Mother's Day. And a most appropriate time to honor our mothers and remember and recognize some of the many things they do for us. Now, let me say this, that, that Mother's Day isn't just about all those who've had children. It's for all women. Because even though not all women can have children, all women have the gifting and the ability to raise children. 
That is, there are many women who may not uh, ever physically bear children and are actually better in looking out for the well-being of children than some natural moms are. Think, I mean, think about some of the best teachers, some of the best social workers, medical people, and church workers are those women who never actually suffered the pains of labor and yet have impacted the life of millions of children all over the earth. In fact, Paul writes in Galatians chapter 4, verse 27, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. So God sings praises to that. But, I mean, I think about people like Mother Teresa. She never would have been able to, to affect the life of so many children had she been married a married woman at home. Now, with that said, God has given moms throughout His Word much encouragement and direction uh, and what it means to be a godly mother, a loving wife, and to raise godly children. Because I know for a mom it can be tough at times. The demands that are placed on moms today can be overwhelming. Many moms are trying to do it all. I mean, a, a part-time job outside the home as well as a full-time job in the home. If you're a stay-at-home mom, that, that often can be more work than, than having a job outside the home. I mean, changing the diaper, doing the dishes, washing the clothes, doing the shopping, then you throw the kids into the mix and soccer practice and school plays. And, and then if you're homeschool, I mean, I'm sure by the end of your day, you're ready to have a conversation with anyone over the age of 10 years old. And the kids, they do try to help. Like the story I read of some children who told their mother she wasn't to lift a finger on Mother's Day. They were going to do all the cooking. So they got out three pots, two frying pans, a double boiler, three mixing bowls, a chopping board, six measuring spoons, Eight serving dishes, and mom was delighted. She said, this was the best jello I've ever had. <laughs> what moms need today is a fresh vision. Because often we get short-sighted and miss the big picture as to what we are really doing. See, there's blessings right now that God wants to give moms, the blessings of, of His presence and strength in your life to do that which He's called you to do. There's future blessings in this life as you watch your children and grandchildren live out the principles of God's word that you've taught them. And then there's there's this huge blessings of eternity as Jesus Christ will reward those who follow the principles of his word. All that to say is the influence of a mom uh, touches the entire world. All of society really is based off of the home and how the home is managed will show up in society. And because the proper role of, a, of a, a mother is fading from society, children are growing up with a lack of compassion, lack of love, and those virtues that, that come from having a godly mother. So what I want to do this morning is to just go back in time and let's look at the very first mom. The very first mom in the Bible. The very first wife, really, is what we start at. And her name was Eve. She was uh, Adam's wife, created to be his help, meeting companion, and and then secondly, the very first mom. Listen to Genesis chapter 3, verse 20 in the New Living Translation. Then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live. I like that. So if you're taking notes this morning, we have just three points. We're going to look at the first wife, the first mother, and then number three, the first children. Number one, the first wife. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 through 20. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. 
So Adam gave names to all the cattle, all the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. I mean, you could just picture poor Adam out there calling out the names as they paraded before him. Okay, Mr. and Mrs. Cow, all right. Mr. and Mrs. Parakeet, you know, okay. We'll call you Mr. and Mrs. Giraffe. Oh, boy, you guys are squirrely. Okay, Mr. and Mrs. Squirrel. Mr. and Mrs. Chimpanzee, because you keep monkeying around. And you have to picture, as Adam's calling out their names to all these animals, it must, he must have come to the point where he came to the realization that everyone had a counterpart except for him. Listen, for those of you that are single this morning, Adam could have said, enough of me sitting around and naming names. It's time for me to do something for myself. I'm going to do something about this. And Adam could have started climbing trees and, and beating his chest to find a mate. He could have searched the world to find a counterpart. But the closest thing that he could have come to is maybe a, a chimpanzee or a gorilla. I, I don't know. Listen, single guys and gals, that happens a lot today. If you're single and you say, I've got to find someone, you may come back with some chimpanzee, okay, beating his chest and swinging from the trees. Listen, that's no more planned for you than it was for Adam. I read a saying uh, that's not true, but it was funny. Men are like a box of chocolate, wait too long, and the only weird nutty ones are left. It's not true, but it's funny. Because if you're single, God is totally aware of where you are at this morning. And if it is His will for you to marry, then He's got the perfect wife, He's got the perfect husband designed just for you, that He will bring to you at just the right time. It happened with Adam. It can happen with you. But if you seek to compromise, if you seek to, to go out looking for your own husband, looking for your own wife, you may end up with the weird nutty one. So, listen, God knows what, he do, what He's doing. He, he knows what we need before we even do anything. And so we just, just come to Him and He'll bring about the person at the right time. But now look at verses 20 through 20, 21 through 24 of Genesis 2. We read, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he had made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Reminds me of the story about a family that came home from church where the sermon was about Adam and Eve. And the mother noticed the boy sitting on the bed, feeling his ribs, and she asked what he was doing. He said, I counted my ribs three times now, Ma. I think I'm having a wife. I love this. When Adam first awakes, his first thoughts as he looks at Eve is, Whoa. Whoa. Whoa, man, are you in trouble now. Whoa, man. That's what I'll call her. Whoa, man. You see... God says these are the most important words. Look at verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. God's purpose, God's plan for the marriage relationship. The man is now subject to the wife in the sense that he is responsible for her well-being. Now, we know in one sense, Adam completely blew it. There in that garden, you know, where after Adam and Eve fell, they ate of the forbidden fruit, God came to Adam. I said, Adam, where are you? And Adam, in effect, said, uh, I ate the fruit. The woman you gave me did first, and then I did. And I know it sounds like Adam is blame-shifting and blaming it all on his wife, but, but I believe Adam could have been saying it this way. 
that woman you gave me, that beautiful person that you gave me, the responsibility to care for and to love and to cherish. I blew it. I failed. I could have said, no, what are you doing? And, and I, I could have stopped it and it would have been all over, but I didn't. And I ate the fruit too. I blew it. I wasn't her protector. I wasn't her spiritual leader. But then the greatest love story ever told uh, began there as Jesus would come and die on the cross to take away the sin of the world. But you see, Adam's responsibility was uh, for Eve's well-being and, and Eve was to be Adam's helpmeet, to be his companion. As many of you probably maybe have heard the old proverb, God did not make the woman from a bone from the head to rule over the man. Neither did God make the woman from the man's foot to be trampled down or walked on by him. But God made woman from a place close to his heart to be loved and cherished by him, from under his arm to be protected by him and provided for by him, and by his side to be equal with him. See, every marriage is a partnership. With each, with each partner in the relationship contributing to the other, each is incomplete apart from each other. Not that you two are exactly the same. God didn't make you to be duplicates, but to complement one another. So, there was the first wife. This brings us to point number two, the, the first mom. Now, I'm sure that Adam was blown away by Eve's beauty. I mean, she was created in perfect beauty and purity and in love, and she was kind and tender and gracious and good. She was the crowning glory of all creation, the highest and the best work of the master creator, and called and ordained to be the mother of the human race. That's why I love that in chapter 1, verse 28, it says of Genesis that God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. See, that was God's intention. God's plan for Eve was to have children. Now think about this. What if Eve said, you know, I don't know really, really if I want to have kids. I mean, I'm enjoying my life right now. It's kicked back. I'm doing pretty good. Well, first of all, we wouldn't be here. But secondly, she would have failed to do what God had called her to do. Now, I'm not saying that, that if you don't have children, then you're disobeying God. Because for some women, it's just not God's plan. It's just not uh, His will. But what I am saying this is that if God has shown you that it is good, it is good plan, then, that it is His will, then, you, then, then do what God says. James 4.17 says, To him who knows to do good and does not, it is sin. Then the other side of that is, is that when you do obey God, you enjoy the blessings that come from God and from children. Psalm 127, verse 3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. I like that. Listen, the Bible is very clear. Every godly mother is highly esteemed in the eyes of God. Likewise, it's been said, every mother is a queen in the eyes of her young child. I mean, think about that newborn baby. I mean, and, and the mom. The mom, she's just singing to that child. She speaks to the child just in loving tones and, and loving words, gently and tenderly caring for the child, providing everything that child needs. Now, in response, that child learns not only to love their mothers, but through their example, they learn to love others as well. Maybe you've heard the saying, God couldn't be everywhere, so he created mothers. It's, it's a good saying. It's theologically inaccurate, but, but, but it's a, you know... It just shows that, that, that a mother's love and mother's role in our world. The bottom line is children need a mother's love. That has been shown in research, research done that, that babies who are cuddled and loved by their mothers develop better in the areas of their lives than those who aren't. 
No one on earth has a more influential or powerful role than the mother. No political, no military, no educational or religious figure can begin to compare with the impact of a mom. I mean, think about when you watch a football game and there's this great play and, and they, they, the winning touchdown and the cameras roll to the guy who made the touchdown. And instead of the guy saying, way to go, dad, thank you for taking me to all my practices and helping out coaching. What does he say? Hi, mom, 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 number one. I mean, it's crazy. It's been said that the mother's heart is a child's classroom. Mothers teach our kids some of their greatest lessons in their formative years. I I shared this last year, but it's worth repeating because I I like it. So these are things my mother taught me. My mother taught me logic. If you fall off that swing and break your neck, you can't go to the store with me. My mother taught me medicine. If you don't stop crossing your eyes, they're going to freeze that way. My mother taught me to think ahead. If you don't pass your spelling test, you'll never get a good job. My mother taught me to meet a challenge. What were you thinking? Answer me when I talk to you. Don't you talk back to me. (laughs) My mother taught me humor. When that lawnmower cuts off your toes, don't come running to me. My mother taught me the science of osmosis. Shut your mouth and eat your supper. My mother taught me how to pray. You better pray that it will come out of the carpet. My mother taught me about my roots. Do you think you were born in a barn? My mother taught me about anticipation. Just wait until your father gets home. My mother taught me about receiving. You are going to get it when we get home. And my all-time favorite thing, my mother taught me about justice. One day you will have kids of your own, and I hope they turn out just like you. (laughs) Certainly our words make a difference in our children's life, but more so our very own lives, the way we live. That's a great example. A mother's example can teach your children to be honest and truthful and guard themselves against falsehood of any kind. A mother's example is a powerful tool in molding the character of her child to lead a godly life. Why? Because a mom will take every opportunity that she can to teach her children to trust in the Lord and to teach her children to be aware of the fact that the Lord is always present and, and, and to teach them that He's able to help them in whatever situation they may face in this life. To, to, to be dependent upon the Lord for everything. See, there's many examples of godly mom throughout Scripture. Let me give you four of them if you're taking notes again. Number one, there's Jochebed. Jochebed, you find her in in Exodus chapter 6. She was the mom of Moses. We don't know much about her, but we do know that she was a woman of great faith and a mother who greatly loved her son. And because Pharaoh feared the Jews, he had a decree to kill all the, uh, to have the the midwives put immediately to death every male child born uh, a Jew. But Jochebed secretly gave birth to Moses and then concealed the fact for three months. When she couldn't hide him any longer, she constructed this ark, this basket that she uh, lined it with pitch so it would float. Then they placed Moses in it and then let it sail along the banks of the Nile. We read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. Now, we all know the story from there that God providentially guided Moses to float right there in front of Pharaoh's daughter who had compassion for the child and, and took him to be her son. Then not only that, then Pharaoh's daughter then you know, called upon Jochebed, Moses' mom, to nurse him and, and, and not realizing that it was Moses' mom. Uh, 
So during those years, you know, she was there to, to, uh, to, to, to teach him and to train him and, and to, to point him towards God, principles that remained in his life throughout his life. Then there was uh, mom number two, Hannah, the mother of Samuel. Remember that Hannah prayed for a child, and, and, uh, and when Samuel you know, was born, she considered Samuel as God's gift and, and actually dedicated him to the service of the Lord in the temple even before the, he was born. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 27, Hannah says, For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Then verse 28, she says, Therefore I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he shall live, he shall be lent to the Lord. And she dropped him off there in the temple. Not that you can drop your off kid, your kids here at the church, okay? I'm just saying that's what, what Hannah did. But think about how painful it might have been, dropping Samuel off at the temple. But she prayed this prayer in 1 Samuel 2, verse 1 and 2. She says, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the, in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. See, because those truths gripped her heart uh, and controlled her ways, I am sure she taught them to her son, even in his youngest days, principles that would guide him throughout his entire life. A life that, would, that, that uh, you know, he lived faithfully ministering before the Lord in the office of a priesthood. And he served as a righteous judge and a great prophet of God to the Jewish nation. He became a, a faithful man of intercessory prayer. Maybe all these things he gained from his mom. The third example of a godly mother is uh, Jedidah. Jedidah was the mother of Josiah, the boy king found in 2 Kings chapter 22. At just eight years of age... He came into power and he ruled righteously in Israel for 31 years. And he's credited for bringing God's word back to the people. And he was truly one of the greatest reformers in the history of the nation. No doubt his character was greatly influenced by the example of his loving mother. Then finally, our last example, mom number four, it's actually two moms. It's a mom and a grandmother, Eunice and Lois. Eunice, we know, was the mother of, of Timothy and Lois was Timothy's grandmother. Paul identifies both of these mothers as being women of genuine faith. We read this verse last week, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Paul says, When I called to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which, I, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. And from what we read in scriptures, is it appears that it was their teaching, their godly influence, and an example in Timothy's life that made Timothy the man that he was in his day. Faithfully serving ministry, faithfully calling along, coming alongside of the Apostle Paul, and then faithfully continuing and succeeding him in the ministry. That Paul would say in his final letter to Timothy in chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from when you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Here's my point. If you, as a concerned mother, want to take steps to help your children to become powerful soldiers for Christ, then from their earliest days, teach them the Word of God. Read to them the Word of God, which is, which is able to make them wise into salvation. And while we're on the subject of shaping of a child's character, I think it's also important to note, as they get older, as parents, you carefully consider who their playmates are uh, and later who their companions are. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Proverbs 
13.20, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companions of fools will be destroyed. Or Proverbs 29.15, A child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Listen, moms and dads, we need to actively be involved in our children's life, whether they want your involvement or not. Know what your children are watching. Know what they're listening to. Know what they're reading. Know what their friends and their family. Know their friends. Know their, their friends of their family as well. Even then, be careful. Be careful who you let your kids stay the night over at their house. Statistics show that 40% of children who are sexually abused are abused by older and more powerful children. This brings us to our final point, the first children. Now, turn with me to, to Genesis chapter 4 now. Now, we know Adam and Eve were basically the first children. Okay, you know, they, then they later had children, but really they were the first children. Perhaps you've heard this, this story after creating heaven and earth. God created Adam and Eve, and, and the first thing that he said was, Don't. Don't what, Adam replied. Don't eat the forbidden fruit, God said. Forbidden fruit? We got forbidden fruit? Hey, Eve, we've got forbidden fruit. No way. Yes way. Don't eat that fruit, said God. Why? Because I'm your father and I said so, said God, wondering why he hadn't stopped after making the elephants. A few minutes later, God saw his kids having an apple break and was angry. Didn't I tell you not to eat the fruit, the first parent asked. Uh-huh, Adam replied. Then why did you? I don't know, Eve answered. She started it, Adam said. Did not, did so, did not, did so. Having had it with the two of them, God's punishment was Adam and Eve should have children of their own. Thus the pattern was set and it has never been changed. Listen, sometimes, Mother's Day studies, we can leave moms feeling worse than better because of looking up close at what it means to be a mom. We can see our own failings and we can see our own shortcomings in raising children. But we need to understand that the only perfect parent is God. And the only perfect child ever born in this world was Jesus. Even Adam and Eve did not have children until after they had sinned. I don't think we often think of that. But it gives us a clear understanding to the scripture that says, There is none righteous, uh, no, not one, all have sinned, and all have fallen short of the glory of God. Now, this goes all the way back to the very first children born to Adam and Eve. Look now at Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Now, Adam knew his wife, Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Two children, two boys, one son willing to follow God's way and the other refusing. Same mom, same love, different results. Nothing Eve did indicated she deserved to have Cain do what he did to Abel. And in the same way, there are many good moms out there that will visit their child in prison this year. There are many good moms out there that will, will bail their child out of jail this year. 
There, there are many good moms out there that will get the word that their son is leaving their wife for another woman, hurting the only grandchildren that they have. Listen, moms, 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 moms have to deal with their failures of their children, whether we like it or not. I mean, think about this. Charles Manson had a Charles Manson had a mother. Adolf Hitler had a mother. Osama bin Laden had a mother. Barack Obama. Wait, wait, I won't go there. I should have said that. Sorry. <laughs> Certainly, it would be safe to say that the, the, that that most of what these evil men became was not because of their mothers. It's very possible that even some of their moms were God-fearing, holy women. Listen, we know that our responsibility as parents is to train our children in the way that they should go. And, and moms, often all you can do along with your husband is to teach your children what is right before God. Now, they may not always look as though they're, they're, they're getting it or walking that way. And in fact, some may not walk that way. But your calling is to be faithful in what God has called you to do. We are to discipline them in spite of what society, you know, says, believes today. Proverbs twenty nine fifteen warns us, The rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left himself disgraces his mother. We're admonished in God's word to treat them evenly, to treat them fairly. My point is this, what they do when they are older is totally up to them. We're to pray for them, we're to to seek to encourage them in God's way. But the fact of the matter is every man, every woman is responsible for their own relationship with God. I've said this many times before, God has no grandchildren in heaven. But let me also say this, never underestimate the power of the praying mom. Abraham Lincoln once said, I remember my mother's prayers and they have always followed me. They have clung to me all my life. I mean, who knows if that that thief on the cross had been praying for her son for years and and who knows that that she ever got to know that her son came to know the true and living son of God, Jesus Christ. Many moms will never see this out of heaven, the rewards that await them because they faithfully prayed and faithfully raised their children in the ways of the Lord and prayed for them. Even Mary, the Bible says, would see things that Jesus did and it says that she would ponder them in her heart. She would hide them in her heart. But even with all she knew, it wasn't until she crossed life into eternity that she really fully understand. See, moms, the truth is the one thing I can guarantee each of you this morning that in your course of motherhood, you will have your heart broken. You may have a broken heart because that that baby didn't make it to its full term. You may have a broken heart because that child was born with some form of a handicap or an illness. You may have a broken heart because your child rebels at an early age. You may have a broken heart because the child that had all the scholarships and all the opportunities gave it all up for drugs. And yet the reward of motherhood will always still outweigh those hurts. I mean, to see, see a child succeed, to see him rise above their sinful behavior, or to see them overcome a handicap or rise past an addiction. To see them fight back in their marriage, mostly because of what they've learned in your arms or in the schoolroom of your heart, is one of the greatest joy a parent can ever experience. Yes, there's a price to pay in motherhood, but it's every, worth every cent. And sometimes we need to just come to the Lord and come to the cross and leave all the hurts to the Lord, all, all the cares, all the sorrow, all the pain. Say, Lord, I'm just giving this all to you. And then renew our commitment to Him and renew our commitment to our children.
Finally, I want to close with this story on being a mother. It goes like this. We're sitting at lunch when my daughter casually mentions that she and her husband are thinking of starting a family. We're taking, we're taking her survey, she says half-jokingly. Do you think I should have a baby? It will change your life, I say, carefully keeping my tone neutral. Well, I know, she says, no more sleep begin on weekends, no more spontaneous vacations. But that is not at all what I meant. I look at my daughter, trying to decide what to tell her. I want her to know what she will never learn in childbirth classes. I want to tell her that the physical wounds of childbearing will heal, but that becoming a mother will leave her with an emotional wound so raw that she will never forever, she will forever be vulnerable. I consider warning her that she will never again read a newspaper without asking, what if that had been my child? That every plane crash, every house fire will haunt her. That when she sees pictures of starving children, she will wonder if anything could be worse than watching your child die. I look at her carefully manicured nails and stylish suit and think that no matter how sophisticated she is, becoming a mother will reduce her to the primitive level of a bear protecting her cub. That an urgent call of mom will cause her to drop a souffle or her best crystal without a moment's hesitation. I feel I should warn her that no matter how many years she has invested in her career, she will be professionally derailed by motherhood. She might arrange for child care, but one day she will be going into an important business meeting and she will think of her baby's sweet smell and have to use every ounce of her discipline to keep from running home just to make sure her baby is all right. I want my daughter to know that everyday decisions will no longer be routine. That a five-year-old boy's desire to go to the men's room rather than the woman's at McDonald's would become a major dilemma. That right there in the midst of clattering trays and screaming children, issues of independence and gender identity will be weighed against the prospect that a child molester may be lurking in that restroom. However decisive she may be at the office, she will second-guess herself constantly as a mother. Looking at my attractive daughter, I want to assure that eventually she will shed the pounds of pregnancy, but she will never feel the same about herself. That her life, now so important, will be of less value to her once she has a child. That she would, be, that she would give it up in a moment to save her offspring, but will also begin to hope for more years not to accomplish her own dreams, but to watch her child accomplish theirs. I want her to know that a cesarean scar or shiny stretch marks will become badges of honor. My daughter's relationship with her husband will change, but not in the way she thinks. I wish she could understand how much more you can love a man who is careful to powder the baby or who never hesitates to play with his child. I think she should know that she will fall in love with him again for reasons she would now find very unromantic. I wish my daughter could sense the bond she would feel with women throughout history who have tried to stop war, prejudice, and drunk driving. I hope she'll understand why I can think rationally about most issues, but become temporarily insane when I discuss the threat of nuclear war to my children's future. I want to describe my daughter the exhilaration of seeing your child learn to, to ride a bike. I want to capture for her the belly laugh of a baby who is touching the soft fur of a dog or cat for the first time. I want her to taste the joy that is so real it actually hurts. My daughter's quizzical look makes me realize that tears have formed in my eyes. You'll never regret it, I finally say. Then I reach across the table and squeeze my daughter's hand and offer a silent prayer for her and for me and for all the mere mortal women who stumble their way into the most wonderful of callings, this blessed gift from God, that of being a mother. Great story. As we close, let me ask you, Mom, are you truly committed to the task of raising godly children, children that know the Lord, that love the Lord, that desire to serve the Lord? 
Are you faithful in the high calling that God has entrusted to you with? There's only one way that you can be. And that is through yourself being completely surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Completely. Know this. Your children will thank you. Your husband will praise you. And the Lord will bless you. But the invitation is not just for moms. It's for husbands. It's for wives. It's for children. The Bible says in Revelation 22:17, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And, and him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Bible says, God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And if you're here this morning, the best Mother's Day present you can give to your mom today is to fulfill her dream by you turning your life over to the Lord Jesus in complete surrender and repentance and receive that new life in Christ. If that's your desire, as soon as service is over, I encourage you to come up, let the elders pray with you, give you a Bible, help you know what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Finally, I want to close with this. I want all the moms to stand up this morning. We do this every year. I want to pray for you, moms. So I have all the moms stand up. Come on, moms, get up. Just want to pray for you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for these moms that are standing here this morning. I thank you for the special gifts that you've given to them, Lord, and the powers and the, and the strength you've given them to raise their own children, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you continue to bless them and to strengthen them and to encourage them, Lord, in their walks with you, Lord, and in, in the, the, the trials and the heartaches and the struggles with their kids. Lord, help them to continue to teach their children godly principles, to teach them your word. Help them to not grow weary in doing good, Lord, knowing that they will weep. They will reap, Lord, huge benefits if they continue to sow. And so, Lord, we pray your blessing upon them. We thank you for them, Lord God. Father, we pray for those that are, right now that have lost moms, that have gone home to be with you, Lord. And I know that the, the, the heartache is there, Lord. We just thank you, Lord, for them and the influence they've had on our lives as well. We praise you, God, for the work that you're doing in all our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mom, stay standing for a minute. We have a special guest, a gift for you. My mom, she's gone home to be with the Lord uh, many years ago, but one of her favorite plants was the rose and uh, rose bushes. And so we have roses for each one of you moms here today as a gift for you to have. And so just uh, from us to you, this is for you. And so um, we're going to pass them out for you. Go ahead, Greg. So. I'm thinking we're going to have some leftovers. So after we're all done, guys, then... Uh, you can have a rose or two. We'll give moms extra ones to take home. And so, maybe uh, should make everyone gets one. Did you get one? Okay. Make sure you got one. All right. Let's all stand now and do one last song together.